We're so glad that you are worshiping with us. If you are a guest this morning, maybe this is the first time you've been with us, um, welcome. We are just finishing a series that we have been in called Doctrines of Demons. And uh, we've been looking at some uh, pretty important matters. We'll continue that today. And so we're going to dive in to God's Word in just a moment. Um, I have talked with a lot of people this morning, and almost 100% of the people that I've talked to, not 100%, almost, when they see me, the first thing they say is, wow, nice tie this morning. (laughs) And so I said, I'll share why, because everybody's going to be wondering. My daughter, Leah, was in my closet two days ago, and she saw my ties hanging up, and she said, Daddy, how come you never wear a tie anymore? And She's like, you look so handsome when you wear a tie. You should wear a tie. <laughs> and she said, will you wear one Sunday when you preach? And so I was like, I have to because she, she asked me to. So that's why I'm wearing one. But can I tell you, I have been complimented quite a bit today. I've been told that, I am, I've been told that I'm handsome, um, tall. Uh, no, I haven't been told that. But if those compliments keep coming, I might have to just brush off the ties every Sunday uh, in here. I I was in the closet today and I was looking at a couple different ties. And I'm going to tell you the thought that crossed my mind given the series we were in. I saw a red tie. And and I hesitated to wear a red tie because I thought I don't want people to think that I'm representing the Republican Party this morning. I saw a bright blue tie, and I'm like, I don't want people to think I'm representing the Democratic Party this morning, so purposefully, this is a neutral tie, okay? A thought went into that as we've been talking about some issues that can be very weighty and very heavy. And I've said this from the get-go in our series, Doctrines of Demons. My desire in this series, and I hope this has been communicated clearly, is not to tell you necessarily just what I think or my thoughts, My hope is to present what does God say in his word and allow the word of God to be that which instructs us, guides us, and directs us, however that may be. I said as well from the get-go, as believers in Christ, we are called by God to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so in all of these issues that we've been discussing and what does God's word have to say about these various issues, um, we have to, as individual believers, seek to make sure we are not the offense to people. But if God's word is the offense, if the gospel is an offense, God has already promised us that would be the case. But we have a responsibility with care and compassion to love people, to care for people. And to see them through the lens of eternity, eternal eyes, of the need that is present for Christ and the only hope for a lost world, regardless of where they stand in regards to um, so much that we're talking about, the only answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so just as a reminder as believers uh, to love the Lord and to love others as we talk about some of these issues today. Now we're getting to... This morning, the value of human life, abortion, abortion, racism, critical race theory. And I convinced myself coming into the message this morning that no one is going to leave here happy <laughs> when, they, when they hear the message. Because there will be undoubtedly some who, they're going to hear what is preached this morning and they are going to be upset because of disagreement or feel like I've been harsh or, um, you know, oblivious to where... Uh, another viewpoint lands, but then there's going to be others that are going to be upset that they feel like, hey, we didn't go far enough 
in pushing uh, in regards to the issues we're talking about today. So again, my desire this morning is to simply be biblical in our look at these issues that are so hard and that are so controversial in our culture today and have caused such turmoil in our culture today. And my hope, again, is that if there is disagreement with what is said, that the disagreement has to be with what God says in his word, because that's what I hope to share, is what does God say in his word. So with grace and compassion and a desire for unity, we look at these things this morning. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, as we've said each week in this series, Doctrines of Demons, Paul's writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Uh, this is a reality that Paul wanted Timothy to be aware of. Um, this continues to this day, that there are those that are willfully embracing and following after doctrines of demons. Um, this is something that is very clear in God's word, and we see it so prevalent in the culture we are living in today. But as we combat these things, and I've said this already, we want our foundation as we look at these various issues not to be our emotions, not to be our culture's response, not to be our own personal experiences even. We want our foundation for each of these areas that we're looking at to be the foundation of God's word. Uh, this is what the psalmist said of God's word in Psalm 119.89. Forever, O God, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. God's word is eternal. God's word is forever firmly fixed in the heavens. Uh, that statement of truth cannot and will not accurately be said of any other documents that are written. Uh, much to the chagrin of many people, be careful that we are centered on God's word as that which is authoritative. So that means when God speaks, that's final. When God says something, it's final. So when God speaks to a matter, the matter should be settled. Let me say that again. When God speaks to a matter, the matter should be settled. Amen? And we are okay with that so long as oftentimes what God's word says aligns with what we think. But sometimes we can find ourselves even opposing what God's word clearly says on a matter. And that's a dangerous spot to find ourselves in. So I think it's good to be reminded again that any teaching, and shared this week one, any teaching, worldview, or opinions that are in direct opposition to the word of God should be rejected. We have to understand that. Any teaching, worldview, or opinions that are in direct opposition to the word of God should be rejected. And here's why this is so difficult, because so often, and I think all of us can be guilty of this at times, of elevating our personal experience... And what we've learned from personal experience, which can oftentimes be deceiving. Sometimes we can all be guilty of even elevating our personal experience above what the clear teaching of Scripture says. And I believe all of us can be guilty of that at times. But here's some things to understand about our enemy. The enemy the devil seeks to lie, steal, kill, and destroy. That's who he is. That's what he's all about. He's the father of lies, the word of God tells us. He seeks to cause dissension 
and disunity. He is doing a fantastic job of that. Not only in our culture, across our nation, across the world, but even in the church. He does a fantastic job of causing dissension and disunity. He seeks to cultivate hate, evil, and rejection of Christ. He seeks to devalue what God has created and to remove any glory that is due to God. He seeks to destroy God's word and seeks to promote that which brings destruction and chaos. He will pay for his rebellion for all of eternity. What an amazing time that will be when there is the absence of any sin, death, sickness, sorrow, disunity, chaos, and evil. What a time that will be. We're not there yet. And so what we see on full display around us is exactly what God said we would see. Because this is not our home as believers. And so we have to remain obedient to him and recognize the enemy is at work and he seeks to destroy. Now sadly, even in the church, in the church of Jesus Christ, believers will be so at odds about things that aren't even biblical issues that it destroys unity. Believers will separate themselves from other believers, not because of even biblical matters, but because of preferential matters or because of preferences. And disunity is caused. Man, does the enemy love that. And so my hope is that we will be unified this morning around the word of God and what God says about these issues. So let's get into this. Um, I want to thank you as a congregation I have had a lot of resources provided to me as this week has come. <laughs> I, have, I have had a lot of people reach out with things that they felt like I needed to read, look at, study, listen to before this message. And so I'm just going to be honest with you. I wasn't able to do it all, okay? Um, I would, we'd have to delay this message probably about six months if I were to look at everything everybody sent to me. But thank you. Uh, thank you for responding with material and resources. I do appreciate it. Um, and just so you know, they were not all one-sided resources or materials um, there was just some great, in a positive way, bombardment from all sides about the issues we're talking about this morning. So I appreciate it. And again, my hope is that I will do justice to what God's word says about these issues. So let's talk about the value of human life, abortion, racism, critical race theory. We're going to be in just a moment looking at Genesis 1 and Psalm 139. But let me start by these two truths that I want us to understand and that we can all agree on from God's word this morning. Truth number one, God is the creator and designer of every human life. And truth number two, every human life has equal value in the sight of God. I think we can agree on those two overarching principles, those foundational principles from God's word. God is the creator and designer of every human life. And every human life has equal value in the sight of God. Now, if we just stop there and left with those two principles, that should dramatically impact what we're going to talk about this morning. It should dramatically impact it. If we would just seek to implement those, if we truly believe those two statements of truth and let that impact our mindset, our eyes, our dealings with other people, our interactions, if we just embrace those two concepts, those two realities, we should be greatly impacted as we go from here. 
God is the creator and designer of every human life. Every human life has equal value in the sight of God. Genesis chapter 1, we, we talked about this passage throughout this series, but it's foundational. In Genesis 1, page 1 of your pew Bible, if you're using that, verses 26 to 28, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air of of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God is the creator and designer of every human life. It's very clear in this Genesis account, Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. God is the creator of all that you see in creation. He's creator God. He's the designer. He's the one who did it all. And you look at the people sitting next to you. You look at everybody seated around you. And some people even be like, did God really create them? Yes, he did. (laughs) Because he is the creator God. He's responsible. I saw something recently. There was on the news... And I forget what country it was in, and I don't remember the artist, but there was a painting by some artist that was on display in a pretty prestigious art gallery, and protesters were there. I think they were protesting climate change. I'm not positive. And they were pouring, like, paint or doing something to basically deface this priceless work of art. And I listened to it and watched the video, and as they were doing this, they were standing next to the painting, and one guy was filming... And another guy was like rubbing his cheek against this artwork, smearing it with what I'm assuming is paint. And as they were doing that, you could hear people who were watching gasping. They were just appalled. They, were, they, just could, they didn't know how to respond because here was a priceless work of art by an artist that, that was known for his art. And they were defacing this priceless work of art that was on display in this art museum. And people were just appalled they could not believe it the value of that piece of art because of who it was that painted it do you realize how much greater value every human life possesses because it is the work he she is the work of God the creative designer there is no more priceless work than the work of God And so it should absolutely appall us when the value of human life is so easily discarded in our culture. God is the creator and designer. In Psalm 139, the psalmist writes here in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16, For you, talking about God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. I think this is just an amazing passage of Scripture. That speaks of our God's intimate knowledge and creation 
even before we were fully formed in our mother's womb. And the value of life here. Every human life has equal value in the sight of God. These passages, I believe, affirm this truth. I believe these passages clearly speak of the design of God and how every human life has this value in the sight of God. So let me throw a couple definitions out to you as we look at abortion, racism, and critical race theory. And I believe these verses are foundational for all three of these issues that are prevalent in our culture and society today that are causing such dissension um, within the church and outside the church. Abortion. Merriam-Webster defines abortion. The termination of a pregnancy after accompanied by resulting in or closely followed by the death of the embryo or fetus. Cornell defines partial birth abortion. The term of partial birth abortion means an abortion in which the person performing the abortion, A, deliberately and intentionally, vaginally delivers a living fetus until, in the case of a head-first presentation, the entire fetal head is outside the body of the mother, or, in the case of breech presentation, any part of the fetal trunk past the navel is outside the body of the mother for the purpose of performing an overt act that the person knows will kill the partially delivered living fetus. And performs the overt act other than completion of delivery that kills the partially delivered living fetus. This is partial birth abortion. Cornell defines it in this way. This is, see, this is the understanding of what partial birth abortion is. A lot of times people want to attribute to those that are taking a pro-life stance, an anti-abortion stance, that they are saying things that are so extreme, but they're not true. Well, Cornell defines partial birth abortion as what you've just read. Where things stand today regarding abortion limits in America. States that ban abortion starting at fertilization. Oklahoma is the only state. This was as of May 26, 2022. Oklahoma is the only state with a law in effect banning nearly all abortions starting at fertilization. Six weeks. Texas and Oklahoma are the only states that have laws in effect banning abortions when cardiac activity has been detected in an embryo, which is around six weeks. 20 weeks, Mississippi is the only state that currently bans abortion at 20 weeks. 22 weeks, this includes Ohio currently, 15 states ban abortions at 22 weeks of pregnancy. At 24 weeks, five states ban abortions. At 24 weeks, that would, just to put things in perspective, that would be after the second trimester, after six months of pregnancy. Six months. Viability. 20 states ban abortions after the fetus is considered viable. Some laws that don't specify a limit say it's up to the abortion provider's judgment to determine whether a fetus is viable uh, when they would survive outside the womb. Third trimester. Virginia is the only state that prohibits abortions in the pregnancy's third trimester, which starts around 25 weeks. Six states, including Washington, D.C., do not impose any term restrictions on abortion. Six states and Washington, D.C. have no term restrictions. This is according to a study done May 26, 2022. Now, let that sink in for just a moment, if you will. These are not just political talking points. We are talking about human life created by God. 
with equal value in the sight of God. And this is what our culture is embracing today. I do not care where you and I would stand on the political scale. Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian. It doesn't matter where you stand on the political scale. This is demonic. This is of the father of lies, the devil, who wants to lie, kill, steal, and destroy. Can I remind us of the value of human life when it comes to abortion, racism, and critical race theory? God is the creator and designer of every human life. Every human life has equal value in the sight of God. Those are the two points I'm hammering again and again that I want us to understand and to get and to receive this morning. Genesis 1, 26 to 28, lest we forget it, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Created in the image of God. Psalm 139, 13 to 16. God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me as yet there was none of them. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ that believes the truth of the word of God, you cannot be pro-abortion and actually uphold what the truth of God's word says. You can't. The abortion movement, the teaching, support, and lobbying for the taking of innocent human life is not of God. It is evil. It is demonic. The promotion and advocating for the killing of babies is demonic. And as a church, as the church of Jesus Christ, we should not be compromising on this in any way, shape, or form. So let's move into the issue of racism. Cornell defines racism as the incitation of discrimination hatred or violence towards a person or a group of persons because of their origin or their belonging or not belonging to a specific ethnic group or race. The discrimination, hatred, or violence towards a person or group of persons because of their origin or their belonging or not belonging to a specific ethnic group or race. Frederick Douglass, a famous abolitionist, said, between the Christianity of this land, speaking of America, and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. True believers who are truly living obediently for Christ cannot and will not support racism in any form. 
True believers who are truly living obediently for Christ will love others as God has called them to without exception. True believers who are truly living obediently for Christ will speak against racism and discrimination and will be a champion of the gospel for all people. Why? How? Because God is the creator and designer of every human life. And every human life has equal value in the sight of God. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is clear in God's word. In Psalm 139, 13 to 16, the psalmist said, God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And here's the issue If we can be a champion for pro-life, if we can be a champion opposing abortion and the taking of innocent human life because life is created in the image of God and every human life has value, if we can be all about that but just stop there, that is a problem. That's a problem. Because once... A child is born, a baby is born. If we can say, great, our work here is finished, we are falling short as the church. The follower of Jesus Christ should have the most love and compassion and grace and care for every human being walking the face of this earth, not just when they are being formed in their mother's womb, but once they exit the womb, we should still be the most gracious, caring, compassionate, kind, and loving people on this earth. Why? Because that life is created in the image of God. Why? Because God is the author and designer of that life, and every human life has equal value in the sight of God. Believers in Christ should be the biggest advocates for adoption, for foster care, for care for every human being. Because life matters just, not just when it's within the womb, but when it's outside the womb. And and the word of God is so clear on this. We should be the biggest champions of caring for individuals in their lives. We should be the biggest champions to care for the spiritual life of every human being walking the face of the earth. We should take to heart the word of God when Jesus was asked what are the two greatest or what is the greatest commandment. And he said the greatest is to love the Lord your God and the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. And just as passionately as we should be able to defend the right to life for the unborn we should be able to defend and support with compassion and grace, caring for those that need care, caring for those that need love, and seeking to care for those, not just children, but all who are created in the image and sight of God. Now again, this doesn't negate the personal responsibility. We'll talk about this in a moment on every individual that God has placed, but the believer in Christ should be the most compassionate, loving, kind, and caring individuals walking the face of the earth. 
Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 and 19, we see the heart of God. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Listen, that's a, that is an incredible, we're not preaching in Deuteronomy 10 about like expounding this passage, but that statement, look at that. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Can you imagine if that statement was true of all the judges in our land? If that statement was true of all the politicians in our land? If that statement was true, sadly, of all of the pastors in our land? For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. And I don't mean God of gods and Lord of lords. I mean who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. There is a responsibility given to us by God to care for those who have needs. To be compassionate to those that have needs. To look with eyes of impartiality on all. Acts 10, 34 and 35. Peter is preaching and he says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know how encouraging it should be, how amazing it should be for us to know that no matter who we are talking to, where they are from, what their background is, what their ethnicity is, that the gospel remains the power of God for them unto salvation if they will believe. Plus nothing. God is not a respecter of persons. James 2, 9 says, If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. How many of us are guilty? How many of us are guilty? In Revelation 7, 9 to 10, we get this picture, a glorious picture. John says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. People from every nation, land, tribe, tongue, worshiping our great God together. Galatians 3.28, Paul reminds the believers there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. I hope you see from these passages of scripture that our God is not a racist God. Our God is not a God that shows partiality. Our God is not a respecter of persons. Our God takes no bribes. Our God is the creator of all man the designer of all man, and every human being is created in the image of God. And so that leads me to, just as we talked about abortion, to make these statements about racism. Racism in all its forms is not from God. It is a work of the enemy, the devil. Racism in all its forms is demonic. A lot of amens on abortion is demonic. Racism in all its forms is demonic. 
Do you understand why this is a problem, church, that we can so proudly champion that abortion is wrong and demonic, but when it comes to issues of race, we are a lot more silent? We should be just as convinced from God's word at that statement as every other statement that God's word says. And we can be guilty so often of just breezing past that one. Racism in all its forms is demonic. Now, when we get to critical race theory, again, I was convinced no one's going to leave happy here. Because some will think, awful job, you didn't say enough. And some will think, you said too much. Again, the foundation and backdrop in Genesis chapter 1 and Psalm 119, Psalm 139 rather, is, is our backdrop that everyone is created in the image of God. And every human life has equal value in the sight of God. Let's talk about critical race theory for a moment. I want to speak about this and not give my perspective on this. I want to share what is shared as far as the perspective of those that are championing this movement and championing this belief. Critical race theory defined by the NAACP LDF. That's the NAACP, uh, the Legal Defense Fund. The Legal Defense for this defines critical race theory or CRT as an academic and legal framework that denotes that systemic racism is part of American society. From education and housing to employment and healthcare, critical race theory recognizes that racism is more than the result of individual bias and prejudice. It's embedded in laws, policies, and institutions that uphold and reproduce racial inequalities. So to summarize this, this what is being stated here is that systemic racism is inner intertwined in American society in education and housing in employment and healthcare in all facets of society that it isn't just individuals in society that are racist it's the society as a whole it's the institution as a whole and that there are policies and institutions that are upholding racism in, in all that's happening in America intersectionality we have to understand is the way in which Different types of discrimination or unfair treatment because of a person's sex, race, etc. are connected to and affect each other. The theory of intersectionality highlights the multiple avenues through which racial and gender oppression are experienced. And so the UCLA School of Public Affairs, a very respected institution in regards to their speaking and education regarding critical race theory, says CRT, critical race theory, recognizes that racism is ingrained in the fabric and system of the American society. The individual racist need not exist to note that institutional racism is pervasive in the dominant culture. This is the analytical lens that CRT uses in examining existing power structures. CRT perpetuates the marginalization of people of color. CRT also rejects the traditions of liberalism and meritocracy. Legal discourse says that the law is neutral and colorblind. However, CRT challenges this legal truth by examining liberalism and meritocracy as a vehicle for self-interest, power, and privilege. CRT also recognizes that liberalism and meritocracy are often stories heard from those with wealth, power, and privilege. These stories paint a false picture of meritocracy. Everyone who works hard can attain wealth, power, and privilege while ignoring the systemic inequalities that institutional racism provides. 
I hope you're able to follow that. If you're not able to, snap a picture of that and you can read through that in, in a greater digestive way. We don't have time to, to just go through all of that statement. I hope you're following, though, that institutional racism exists, that it is preventative of individuals from being able to uh, produce in society what those that are in privileged positions are able to produce. Inter he goes on, intersectionality within CRT points to the multidimensionality of oppressions and recognizes that race alone cannot account for disempowerment. Intersectionality means the examination of race, sex, class, national origin, and sexual orientation and how their combination plays out in various settings. This is an important tenet in pointing out that CRT is critical of the many oppressions facing people of color and does not allow for a one-dimensional approach of the complexities of our world. So intersectionality seeks to take not just the oppression that is present because of racism or because of uh, ethnicity, but it, it brings into play a lot of other factors, your sexuality and gender, um, the, the scope of your financial upbringing. A lot of factors are taken into consideration in intersectionality. And so the more boxes that you can check of oppression, um, the greater you are oppressed. And the one that is receiving that is the oppressed. And those that are not receiving that or those that fit a particular category would be put in the category of being the oppressor. Now, it is not my responsibility, job, nor do I have any desire within me to take a political stance before you today as to whether or not I would agree that racism is systemic in America. That is not my role, that is not my responsibility, and it will produce nothing for me to do that this morning. What my desire is this morning is to look at CRT and intersectionality and all that comes with that from a biblical perspective and share with you where I am concerned biblically with what I believe are a lot of the concluding thoughts coming out of critical race theory. I am not going to argue or debate as to whether or not systemic racism in America is prevalent, whether or not racism in America is at the greatest it's ever been or the least it's ever been. I wanted to start off with the foundation that racism is demonic and evil. No believer in Christ should be able to support racism in any form. No one. No believer in Christ should be able to support a belittling of, a destroying of, or removing value of any human life. We should all be able to agree on those things. But here are what I would see as dangers of critical race theory from a biblical perspective. And this is just taking what I have understood coming from those quotes that we've read, as well as doing research, and as well as a lot of what is being promoted under the name of critical race theory and the fallout from that. Here's the dangers. Number one, people are separated into two separate groups, the oppressed and the oppressor. Intersectionality, this, this is what we talked about with intersectionality. There are the oppressed and the oppressor. So people are separated into two groups. And so the danger I believe in that is what we've already talked about is that God sees every human being before him in the same manner. He's not a respecter of persons. He shows no partiality. The answer of salvation is a necessity for all through Jesus Christ. But what critical race theory seems to do is separate people into categories of the oppressed and the oppressor. And depending on which category you fall into, 
your responsibilities, your uh, necessity of response is entirely different depending on which of those two categories you fit into. I believe, biblically speaking, that is nowhere taught in Scripture, that there should be a separation of the oppressed and the oppressor. Secondly, the value of human life is determined based upon social categories. The value of human life becomes determined based upon social categories. If you are one of the oppressed, your opinion, your truth, your needs, and the things that you value automatically are held in higher esteem than the one who is the oppressor. Now that's not to say that there are not those that have been oppressed and there are not those that have been oppressors. It's not what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is critical race theory taken to its full extent, would cause the value of human life to be determined largely based upon social categories. If you're one of those that are the oppressor or have been labeled in a category of oppressor or your ancestors were oppressors or anybody you know was oppressors, you fall into a category where your convictions, beliefs, and truth that you believe no longer is relevant or important because of the category socially you fit into. And we see this on display in our country. That would be something contrary to what Scripture teaches. Number three, the truth becomes subjective and can only truly be known and experienced by the oppressed. This is what's called standpoint theory. Standpoint theory teaches that you have the two categories, the one who is the oppressor and the one who is the oppressed. In our nation, what has been highlighted when it comes to critical race theory and to summarize critical race theory as far as the viewpoint of the oppressor would be the white male. If you are a white male in particular, you are the epitome. If you are a white Christian male who is middle upper class, you would be the epitome of the oppressor. And if you are not a white male, you would fall into a category of being the one that is oppressed. And so here's what standpoint theory teaches. Standpoint theory teaches that whereas the oppressor cannot fully know the truth or understand the truth that is being communicated and embraced by the one that is oppressed, because he's not oppressed, the one who fits into the category of being the oppressed can know not only the oppressor's truth and understanding and viewpoint, but as well as their own. And so it's impossible for the oppressor to truly know truth. They certainly can't know truth coming from the opinion of the oppressed, but the oppressed can know both. And here's the danger in this. Truth becomes subjective and can only truly be known and experienced by the oppressed. Truth gets brought into question. Absolute truth is certainly brought into question. This is largely coming out of a postmodern thinking where there is no absolute truth and truth is relative. And everybody can determine what is right in their own eyes. Well, in critical race theory, what is being presented and what is on display in our culture is that in particular, truth really can only be understood and known from the category of the oppressed. And so that truth is held in higher status or elevation than anything that those that would fall into the category of being the oppressor would hold as truth. I hope you can understand and follow that. It's a lot. But that's a problem biblically because truth biblically has nothing to do with the experience of the individual who is sharing what they claim to be truth. Truth is found in God's word. 
And whether or not you fit into the category of the oppressed or the oppressor, culturally, doesn't matter when it comes to truth. Truth is found in the word of God. What this brings with it then is guilt, and therefore repentance is necessary for all who fit a particular social category, whether personal participation and transgressions was present or not. So if you are in the category of the oppressor, whether you are racist or not, whether you have carried out racial thinking and carried out racist actions and racist thoughts, whether you have personally participated in that or not, you are still guilty of that because of association with those that are traditionally oppressors. Biblically speaking, that is absolutely false. Biblically speaking... Guilt and repentance is necessary for the personal sins that have been committed by the individual. And to remove that because of a category of being oppressed or to put that on because of a category of an oppressor is not biblical. It is contrary to biblical teaching. And there are dangers in that. Number five, personal accountability and personal responsibility becomes largely removed if you are determined to be an oppressed category. Personal accountability and responsibility for personal actions and beliefs largely gets removed depending on the category you fit into. And number six, the Bible and the truth of Scripture become secondary to cultural and social reforms. If the Bible teaches something, but it would not uphold the category of the oppressed or the truth of the oppressed, it should be Rejected and culturally, if you look at our nation, it is being rejected in all forms. In all forms. So again, let me just share quickly as we close some truths not forget when it comes to this area of critical race theory. My sharing here is not to say that critical race theory, the theory that institutional racism is in America, is false or true. My desire this morning and my position this morning as a pastor is not to determine for you where you land on a political opinion scale about critical race theory in America as a nation. That's not what my job is. My job is to share with you the attack of the enemy on our culture, society, and church and how CRT ultimately leads to certain beliefs that those beliefs that it leads to are contrary to scripture. And so here's some truths we have to understand. Number one, any teaching that would remove the personal responsibility and consequences for personal sin is not of God, it is demonic. Any teaching that would ultimately lead to a removal of personal responsibility for one's own sin is demonic. This was the strategy of the devil we read about in the beginning. Has God said you will die? You won't die? It's a removal of personal responsibility for sin and the consequences that come from sin. That is the devil's strategy from the beginning. Number two, any teaching that would devalue human life or seek to belittle the value of any human life is not from God. It is demonic. And that goes both ways. There are some evil people that have been oppressive people and they're going to give accountability or have accountability for their sin, for their racism. For their hatred, but equally valuable in the sight of God is every human life. And so any teaching or movement that would devalue human life or belittle the value of any human life created in the image of God is demonic. Any teaching that would seek to provide forgiveness 
or reprieve for personal transgressions apart from the finished work of Christ is not from God. It is demonic. Anything that teaches you're okay apart from Jesus is demonic. It lets people feel good about sin and their faults and shortcomings before God. And it is not possible to have forgiveness of sins. It is impossible to have a right relationship with God. It is impossible to be guilt-free apart from Christ. It's only in Jesus. And number four, any teaching that reduces the authority of Scripture or is in direct opposition to the clear teaching of Scripture is not from God. It is demonic. And so in all these areas that we've talked about, anything that you hear being taught, being propped up, anything you hear being argued that you would say, man, that's not what God's word teaches. And beyond that not being what God's word teaches, that is an actual direct opposition to what God's word teaches. That is not of God. That's demonic. It's seeking to lie, steal, kill, and destroy. It's demonic. It's demonic. Now, we're completely out of time. Already. I know. Already. But before we close, I'm going to, Morgan, if you don't mind putting up on that screen, so what can we do? You can snap a picture of this if you want. I had told people, people were like, hey, will you spend some time at the end of the series talking practically? How do we work this out in relationships and things? And we are completely out of time. We'll have to do something, maybe like a roundtable or something that we can put online where we can talk about specifics of intricate family relationships and work relationships and all these things to get into some detail. But here's what we can do. One, do not violate your conscience before God in any of these areas. Love the Lord your God, which is the first and great commandment. Love your neighbor, which is the second. Trust God's word, church. His word is forever fixed in the heavens. It is authoritative, so trust God's word. Be obedient to God's word. When you don't know what to do or what to say, always fall back on the truth of the word of God, and you'll be okay in God's sight. Be obedient to God's word and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the good news concerning Jesus Christ is the only hope for anyone in this world you, me included in that, only the gospel. And so let's proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word has answers for us in such difficult situations we find ourselves living in. God, I pray that we as the church would value every human life as you do, that we would uphold life, Lord, not just in the womb, but outside the womb, that we would have eyes to see others through the eyes of Christ, that we would with compassion, love, grace, desire to see all come to know Jesus. And that we would faithfully present the truth of the gospel because that is the only power unto salvation. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us when we don't do those things. Forgive us, Lord, for bias and favoritism and even racism if it's present in this room. Forgive us for that. Forgive us for not valuing human life. Forgive us for compromising in many areas. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for desiring to put on to others sin that is on our account. And forgive us, Lord, for holding others accountable for something that they've not even done. Because you don't do that. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace and the love through the Spirit of God to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ in a right way that glorifies you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.